This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this Monday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the Texas Rangers Winning the series two games to one on May 15th, they have won their second series. However, they are still in sole possession of last place by just half a game and are 12 games back from the division leading New York Yankees. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Filling in for Job Goddard off the bench tonight from the city of Denver, Colorado by way of Quincy, Massachusetts, Andrew Dwan. How are you, Andrew? Doing pretty good. A lot more upbeat than we've been in past weeks. We got a series win for the Red Sox, and a couple hours before that, we had a series win for the Celtics. So, flying high today. Bruins came up a little short, though, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, that one wasn't great last night. Yeah, that's uh, that's a bummer. Uh, Charlie Smith, also not with us, has a case of COVID. Uh, Seems to be a little bit more than mild, but he was full of piss and vinegar uh, in some text messages earlier about some baseball-related stuff. So I would say he probably is, uh, you know, in the recovery part of it now. So uh, filling in for him tonight, we do have a guest co-host. He comes from Syracuse, New York, Mark Rollins. Mark, how are you? Gentlemen, I am doing fantastic. It's great to be on the show. I am so excited. I've listened to the show for a while. Uh, I was following you guys on Twitter, and I'm just so happy to be here. It's great Red Sox win in the series. I'm also a Celtics fan, so that was fantastic as well, uh, watching them dominate in Game 7 today. I kept looking at the score just online because I I was busy with baseball-related stuff, but seemed like they held him at bay, you know, 15 to 20 oh, yeah. points the whole game. It it was beautiful. It it was a little ugly in the first half, specifically the first quarter, about halfway through the second quarter. But once they got a lead, they were not looking back. It was excellent. Yeah. 
And who who do they play in the conference finals? Do we know yet? They'll be playing Miami. Oh, Miami. Oh, okay. Yes. Got some history there. Different. Oh yeah. Different uh, players now, but. And uh, Mark, you do have a little bit of a, a background in. Uh, I don't know if we want to call it content creating or perhaps uh, sports media. Yeah, I uh, I got my broadcasting degree from SUNY Oswego. I am a radio broadcaster now. I'm on the score 1260 here in Syracuse, New York. I cover the Syracuse Mets. I do sports talk radio in the mornings. Um, and yeah, I've got a couple of podcasts, Hot Stove with a few of my buddies from college. It was our radio show that we turned into a podcast. And uh, what's in the box score with my friend Rick Wiener, who used to be the top baseball writer at Bleacher Report. So we've got our own little baseball show, and it's it's a blast. I try to make content seven days a week. This was the one day I had off this week, but hey, I'm happy to be here doing this instead. Jeez, I do uh, two days a week <laughs> and uh, two shows each of those two days, but that's and I feel you know busy, but. But all right, so uh, let's get into some Red Sox talk. Um, it's only the second series win, so on this early week edition of the podcast, we're going to do the good, the bad, and the ugly. So, uh, Mark, you're the guest. We'll lead you off. Who do you have to the good? Yeah, I've got J.D. Martinez, and... J.D. has been solid all year. He missed some games, so the at-bats aren't there up there with Devers and Bogey. But, you know, J.D. has been good all year, but he had another really solid series against the Rangers. Uh, Two hits in game one, uh, two hits in game two, and then in game three today, even though it was a loss, he still won one for four. Didn't have any RBIs, but he just had a solid series, hit a home run in game two, drove in a run as well as a solo shot, but... I just want to see J.D. have good at bats. I was getting a little worried about the bat speed. He's getting up there in age, and I know that playing him at DH most of the time is saving that bat speed a little bit, but he looked really good this series, and it was good to see him producing. I know he had a double or two as well in the series, so if he's finding gaps and hitting the ball over the fence, I think the Red Sox will be in good shape. Andrew, thoughts on J.D.? Yeah, it was really good to see him uh, turn on that fastball, and or I, I actually think it was a slider, and you know lift it right over the left field fence. But more importantly to me, he was going to right field a lot this series, and that's when you know he's really on. He's not doing too much. He's just going to hit a nice hard line drive to right, right center. And you know if we get the two, three, and four holes really going here, this is what our offense needs. Uh, Trevor Story started to look a little bit more alive. Um, the bottom of the order is starting to pick up a little bit. So if we can get two, three, and four on base, uh, there's going to be some opportunities to bring those guys in. It's going to take a huge burden off the pitching staff if we can get those guys crossing the plate once or twice in inning. JD has his average up to 314. It's just steadily climbing, 365 OBP. He is second on the team in doubles with 11, just two behind uh, Rafi Devers. Strikeouts are a little bit higher than uh, what we would like to see. Um, only, uh, well, actually, Bogarts has one more strikeout than uh, JD does. For some reason, it seems like JD has struck out a little bit more. But be that as it may, Bogarts does have more at bats, like Mark was saying. So that that could account for it as well. But 
I just feel like last winter, and I am probably more guilty of this than anyone on the crew. Like, I just underappreciated JD Martinez, and I'm like, I can't wait until, you know, we're not clogging up a DH spot. That's obviously, you know, w- once Casas comes up, it, it gets a little bit more complicated. But, um, but, JD led the team in doubles last year, was quietly one of your better productive players, and he's doing it again. Yeah, JD's been great. I know a lot of people really doubted that contract when the Red Sox signed him because he was coming off that monster year he split between Detroit and Arizona, and he had 45 home runs, and I think 27 of them came when he went over to the Diamondbacks. And it was like, oh, he can't sustain that. I mean, come on. Who? It's J.D. Martinez. He was the guy that got cut by the Astros. He's still one of the best DHs in baseball. He continues to be one of the best DHs in baseball. And is that saying a ton because he's god-awful in the field and he should never be out there, and I'm glad they really don't put him out there anymore? Yeah, it's it's, you know, he doesn't provide a ton of value in the field, but at the same time to have a guy in the middle of your lineup that, you know, is going to hit home runs, you know, is going to find those gaps. Like Andrew said, specifically to right, right center. That's when, you know, he's at his best and he's been doing that this series. He is such a huge part of this Red Sox lineup. And even a couple of my friends that aren't Red Sox fans just love him so much. Like he's the perfect guy to have in the middle of that Red Sox lineup because you know he's going to hit some over the monster, but you know for a fact he's going to find that triangle out in center field and he's just going to drive in runs that way. If he keeps this up, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what his uh, winter looks like. Obviously, he's not high on the Red Sox totem pole. Uh, They have a lot more uh, pressing issues when it comes to handing out contracts, but someone's going to give him some money. Um, I don't know who, but if he's going to hit 290 to 300 with maybe 25 home runs, he's going to get paid handsomely. And I don't know how confident I am giving him more than a two or three year deal, but, uh, it wouldn't, it wouldn't blow my mind if someone really went three or four years on him. Well, Donaldson got four years, uh, I think in his age 34 season something like that. So there is a precedent there. One other thing uh, notable though, I was watching him run the bases and whatever injury he had, the adductor injury, I never really looked up what that was. I'm pretty sure it's lower body, but um, he was getting around the bases pretty well. So I think he's uh, pretty much healed from that. So uh, Andrew, go ahead. Who is your player to the good? So my good player this year is is a guy that I don't think a lot of people had still on the team at this point of the year, uh, just even three weeks ago, and that's Austin Davis. He's a completely different pitcher right now. He's only let up one run in his last 10 outings. His uh, his stats are just insane. He's down to two, uh, 235 ERA, uh, uh, sub like one-two whip. I, I, I'm really happy. He He's a completely – Different pitcher. His velocity's up a tick. Stuff looks sharp. Didn't exactly agree on a bullpen day today. Um, I would have liked to see a call up if that might have been Winkowski, who actually was an animal today uh, down in Worcester. Struck out 11 guys over six innings. Would have liked to see that play in Texas. But Austin Davis um, goes from a trade that we all thought was terrible and looking at it like, oh my God, he doesn't even have options left to 
Well, you know, he's one of the more reliable guys out of the pen. So uh, good on Austin Davis for really turning his Red Sox career around. Mark, thoughts on Austin Davis? Yeah, he's been good. Uh, he's been really good as of late. And I'm very, I don't even know the right word. I really don't like anyone in the Red Sox bullpen right now, if I'm being honest with you. I don't think any of them are very sustainable moving forward. But Austin Davis has shown a really nice, you know, sort of bounce back. Like you said, a lot of people were saying he didn't even deserve to be on the team. And he's proving right now that he can be a valuable piece out of the bullpen. I hope he can keep it up. I'm hedging my bets a little bit on that. Uh, but like you said, he, right now he's been on a really good stretch and he was good again in this series. So I think it's a fine pick for good because a lot of people should, a lot more people should be talking about how valuable he's been as of late. Not counting Garrett Whitlock because he's made some starts at this point, but Davis has thrown more innings than, than anyone out of the pen right now. Uh, exactly two more innings than the next highest reliever, which would be Hansel Robles, who, let's face it, I mean, he hasn't been terrible, but he's kind of been up and down and a little bit off balance at times with his with his walks, and that started in the Angel series. But to Andrew's point, we thought we thought Davis would be a DFA candidate, depending on how free agency went as we were you know, ramping up for the, the later part of, of spring training. And now he's a, he's a must have guy out of that pen and either long relief or, or high leverage. And you're seeing some other guys kind of struggle right now. And we're not sure who fits where still. I, I mean, I, Andrew has spoken about Strom, being elevated to the closers role that hasn't happened yet. But if that does, then, you know, that makes room for a guy like Davis to go in there and, and perhaps be more of your seventh inning guy. He's just been phenomenal against righties, lefties. And <laughs> he, he was a guy that easily could have dis been discarded if, if free agency went just a little bit differently. So let me ask you a quick question here. So, Say it's the seventh inning in a one-run ball game. On a scale to one to ten, what's your confidence level if you know Cora comes out, points to the left arm, and in comes uh, trotting Austin Davis? Because I think I'm at a seven or eight at this point with him. I'd probably just based on track record prior to this season be at like a five. Relief pitching is so volatile and there honestly is no one in the Red Sox bullpen basically since Garrett Whitlock moved to the rotation right now that I really trust that heavily in a big spot. So Austin Davis has been great as of late, but just over total track record, I'd probably be at like a five. I would simply ride the hot hand and he, even in the couple of games, he scuffled a little bit and there's only been one or two. Um, he, he's still not a guy that I, I feel this sense of doom <laughs> with like some other guys we might, we might talk about. It should also be noted that, uh, outside of Whitlock, uh, Davis does have the most strikeouts of, of any reliever in there. Deekman's got 16 and Deekman's quietly been trending the right way. His, uh, earned run average down to 3.38, 
Um, and uh, let's see, there was no no one else is really that close. Uh, looks like Brazier's got 14 strikeouts. Uh, so does Crawford, but he's used in long relief anyway. So Davis very well could be your strikeout leader. Uh, you know, if if the if things trend the right way. Although if Whitlock does go back, then then that he could have something to say about it. But but definitely, um, uh, you know, definitely uh, an impressing uh, couple of innings from Davis today, opening up the game. So my guy to the good has had uh, two or three good um, starts in a row now. Uh, they haven't been quite as electric as as he had been earlier, but Nick Pavetta in game one gave you seven full innings, uh, only gave up uh, three hits, one earned run, uh, only walked one. Strikeouts a little bit low, but he's still uh, you know trying to find the velocity and and, and the rhythm that he ended off uh, 20, uh, 21 with, but quietly a guy that you're not really, uh, again, feeling a sense of doom when his, when his turn in the rotation comes up. So like what I'm seeing, I I feel like he's going to lose his mechanics two or three times a year and you're gonna, you're gonna see some scuffling, but he, uh, he got the, the series off to a good start, and uh, they only needed Cutter Crawford for two more innings out of the pen. So, uh, Mark, thoughts on Crawford? Uh, excuse me. <laughs> well, if you want, but I meant Pavetta. <laughs> it, the fans in Worcester are going to love Cutter Crawford. Um, I, I was hoping he was going to be so much better than he has been. It, he's got such a great name for a pitcher. But on Pavetta, yeah, like you said, there's going to be a few times a year where he sort of loses it. And that's always been the Nick Pavetta that we've seen. But at the same time, we saw him late in the season, especially in the postseason last year. He can be electric and he can go out there and strike out a million guys. And like you said, the strikeouts uh, in his start this series were not what we are sort of used to with Nick Pavetta. But at the same time, I loved what I saw out of him. He, in his past couple of starts, has been really good. And I know it's only going to get better because he's going to not pitch to contact as much moving forward. Four strikeouts and seven innings for Nick Pavetta is a really low number. With that stuff, he's got specifically that curveball. He spins it so well. He's got a lot of spin on his fastball, too. But he spins that curveball so well that he's going to start missing more bats with that. His control's got to get reined in a little bit moving forward. But I've really liked what I've seen out of his past couple of starts. Yeah, I think I was pretty adamant that I wasn't worried whatsoever about Nick Bavetta's early season uh, scuffle. Uh, he was clearly trying to work on some stuff, and it wasn't clicking until that final inning. Um, God, I forget what game it was. Probably, I think it was around like April 24th. And it all seemed to kind of fall into place. And since then, he's been pretty darn good. This is the guy we thought we were going to get uh, going into the season. His velocity isn't exactly what I want to see uh, right now, but uh, I would like to see his fastball tick up a little bit, maybe with the warmer weather, although 
you know, Texas, definitely on the hotter side. Uh, maybe I'll come in time, but yeah, this is a, this is a good sign that you're, you know, I guess number three at the moment is uh, starting to show up on a consistent basis. In all seven of the innings that, um, that he pitched, he, he never allowed more than uh, one base runner. Actually, the first inning might have been the exception to that. Nope, it wasn't. Just going through it one more time. But, but yeah, so never more than uh, one, one base runner per inning. Um, Cole Calhoun, though, did hit a triple uh, late in the game, though. He had a, a pretty good series overall against the, the Red Sox, actually. So, um. Any other uh, any other players you want to highlight in this uh, in this section or uh, or any place specifically? Well, I mean, Rafael Devers does exist, and he none does, of us acknowledged absolutely. him. Uh, Rafi had another great series. He's been hitting the absolute crap out of the ball as of late, and th- since this is my first time on this show, I have to get it out there. Please, Heim, for the love of God, pay this man. I don't care how much it takes. I don't care if it's 23 years, $738 million. Give him whatever he wants. I want Rafael Devers to play nowhere else, especially the way he's been hitting the ball as of late. He's so talented. I love him so much. He's easily my favorite player currently on the Red Sox. So I just I want him to get paid so bad, and he's been hitting the ball so well lately. Preaching to the choir. Everybody, everybody on this crew wants him uh, um, extended and uh, over over Bogarts uh, as well. Like Devers is priority number one. Um, if I could throw one in there, Frankie's looked pretty good. Um, he's been hitting the hell out of the ball. His his exit velocities routinely over like one hundred and five. Uh, so with more and more consistent at bats, he's hasn't really looked overmatched. Uh, I'd like to start, you know, see this becoming a consistent thing. Maybe Dahlbeck takes a little more time off right now, gets right. Uh, I would just keep riding Franchi at this point, although uh, Houston can make anyone look terrible. But uh, as far as he's, you know, if he's still going like this, uh, give me Franchi every day at first. No complaints here. He did have one terrible at bat today with runners on second and third. <laughs> that was a, uh kind of a, a bit of a buzz it, it was bad yeah it, it wouldn't have ended up mattering uh by the end of it had they still put up seven on us but but i was like oh franchi you really could uh you really could have won the spot there you know if uh and there was a double steal uh during that at bat i think bogarts and maybe trevor story something like that um but it is what it is he's uh having a much better 2022 than uh 2021 uh, Rich Hill also continues to impress. I think he's got what a two eight nine ERA, something like that. Uh, pitched six full innings, gave up seven hits, two earned, no walks, four strikeouts. That's that's a common Rich Hill start. He's gonna on, on a good outing. That's about what he's gonna give you. They did try to bring him out for the uh, seventh. Well, they did, and then he uh, gave up a couple of runs and got yanked right away, but um, still a very good outing from Rich Hill. Cause I mean, let's face it, 42 years old, probably going to be a wild card. 
uh, depending on the uh, the matchups. But but two or three starts in a row, just really impressive uh, for for a guy his age. Yeah, love Rich. I I was happy they brought him back. I mean, I thought this Red Sox team needed as much pitching help as they could get, and he gave me a, one of my favorite games in recent Red Sox history with that complete game shutout he threw the last time he was with the Red Sox. I, it was against the Orioles. Uh, I've got the bobblehead of Mookie Betts robbing Chris Davis of a home run in the ninth inning over there. I've got Mookie leaning over the wall in that beautiful red jersey. Um, so I love... You know, I love that signing, and yeah, you don't really know what you're going to get out of Rich Hill most of the time. You hope for uh, a start like he had in this series, but even if he's five innings, one or two runs, I'll take that any day of the week with a uh, good old Dick Mountain. And I also did want to mention, because Andrew mentioned him briefly, uh, Bobby Dahlbeck had a good series. Uh, he he had a few hits. Um, he looked more natural at the plate. I felt he didn't look like he was trying to do too much, which is something that I thought Bobby was doing a lot. Um, the results may not have been there, but I really liked his approach at the plate and I thought he looked more natural this series. Yeah. Just going back to Rich Hill. Um, I hope that, uh, seventh inning kind of, put people to rest when they keep yelling at Cora for not letting guys go that extra inning because it, it almost unraveled pretty quickly there. So I, I, I was a little surprised he came out um, in that inning, but you know, they, they held to three, which at the end of the day, wasn't too big of a deal. I think Hill is going to be one of those guys that you definitely shouldn't expect it anyway, because he did look gassed. Like he had nothing left someone else I, I may be tempted. I mean, Pavetta did go seven and um, I think Waka could be a guy that does it. And we've seen Evaldi do it uh, once or twice already, but, but Hill is one of those guys. I mean, if you get six, you should be thrilled with that. Um, another uh, one I wanted to get to uh, Xander Bogarts actually um, had hits in every, uh, game. Let's see. I didn't tally these up before I came on. So he was four for 12, uh, drove in uh, two runs uh, in the first game, another uh, ribby in the second game. Uh, he might have been, I think it was his two run single in game one was the one that, that really put that one out of reach uh, when the Red Sox took that one seven to one. But Another thing I want to bring up, I didn't. I only saw the comments in the tweet that Jason shared with us in the war room. Apparently, Bogarts is suddenly open to talking to the Red Sox about a contract extension, and said that uh, if they want to talk to Boris behind closed doors and can uh, come back to Xander with something that's fair, he might be willing to to sign the deal. So, before you guys weigh in. Is he a little bit rattled by that trade talk? Like, oh, suddenly he's expendable now, and maybe the Red Sox might trade him to St. Louis. Andrew, well, the ahead. funny, the funny thing is, the St. Louis beat writer, main beat writer, was like, "No, that's an absolute joke." When it came to trading for him, so it's like, all right, well, then where else? Because <laughs> he's not going to accept a trade many other places. He's not going to go to a rebuilding team. 
who's going to pay him? There's Trey Turner on the market. There's Correa on the market. Yeah. I don't know. I think him and Boris got, well, more so Boris got a little too aggressive in, uh, you know, heavy handed at the end of spring training there, uh, which made no sense to me when they came out. So just the, he's gone if you don't resign him and try to get the public pressure on. So, yeah, I think he's like, well, crap, maybe I don't have that market. Uh, this, this is not going to go well because he honestly, as good as he's hitting, it has to do even better to get that $200 million contract. I, I really don't see any scenario where he hits uh, a contract that begins with two, no matter what he does the rest of the season. As much as I love Bogey and I want him to spend the rest of his career in a Red Sox uniform, my in my mind, he's already gone. I've already accepted the fact that Xander Bogarts will not be on the Red Sox past this season. And this is news to me. I didn't see that Scott Boris and Xander Bogarts were like, hey, wait a minute. Um, So just initial reaction. I agree with Andrew. He's been great. He better win MVP if he wants a $200 million contract. Like he better hit 40 home runs because the defense is certainly declining. Um, we've already seen that so far this year that it's not as good as it's been in years past. And for the most part, in terms of what his trade market would be, yeah, I know the Cardinals are, you know, everyone's prohibitive favorite. The Angels might be interested. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him go to the Angels. We know they're willing to spend money. Uh, if it's almost like we see those NBA deals where it's a trade and they immediately sign an extension. We see that in baseball every once in a while too. That wouldn't surprise me all that much just because, you know, who in that middle infield do they think is an absolute must have? You've obviously got some must have guys in Anaheim, but Trout, Otani, Bogarts, Rendon, all in the same lineup. That is terrifying if I'm an AL West team. Well, we spoke in the last episode that Boris could be taking other teams' temperatures on if they were to trade for Xander, would they be willing to give him an extension and what would the range potentially be? And maybe maybe we're past that phase now and maybe – Maybe Scott Boris is a little more pessimistic on, uh, you know, that scenario playing out with, with other teams. And like Andrew said, I mean, I'm I'm looking through the list of teams right now that may need him or maybe motivated to, and I'm just not seeing it. Uh, I don't think Cleveland's going to give up a, a big haul for him. Chicago just doesn't need him. Neither does Minnesota. We're not trading him anywhere in the East with the with the risk of him potentially signing there long term. So, so those teams are out. The Angels could be a fit. That's potentially one team that could do it. I don't see Houston doing it. I don't see Seattle doing it. So then you go to the you go to the National League. Perhaps the Phillies. Maybe if they're desperate. Maybe good old Dave Dombrowski might might want to dance with Hein Bloom a little bit. St. Louis is there. Andrew says that uh, their writers don't feel it'll happen. I don't think Milwaukee would pay him. They might trade for him, but they wouldn't pay him. So, and then 
you got the Dodgers, the Padres, the Giants. I, I guess maybe the the NL West you could you could argue could be a potential fit, but I think this is a much longer shot scenario uh, as we go. If he gets traded, he's just probably going to be a rental, and Bogarts has to waive the the ten five rights. And say he does get traded to an NLS contender like, um, I mean, the Padres or the Dodgers or even the Giants. He's not going to be there. He's not going to be their shortstop. He can't be. He would have to go to third. Yeah, Crawford would. Stay yeah, short. Well, he can't go to. Yeah, well, yeah, Longoria is there. I don't know whether to play him. He just came back. I, yeah, his his destinations are not as uh, plentiful as he'd hope. Right. Absolutely. So we'll see how it. I mean, this is going to be a situation that takes more twists and turns. We're in mid-May right now, and <laughs> we got a ways to go. Trade deadline's on August 2nd this year, so um, we'll we'll see how that goes. But he does continue to have uh, a good season going with the Red Sox. Just trying to see what his uh, line is. Uh, here it is, uh, 344 with a 3. 93 OBP having as good of a first half as he's ever had. So it's just too bad. You know, we're not getting guys on base around him and all that. And it doesn't seem to matter where he is in the lineup, whether he's third, fourth or fifth, he's producing no matter where they put him. So, all right. Uh, we could probably squeeze a couple more into the segment, but we don't want the show to run too long. So let's go to the bad now. Um, Mark, Go ahead. I mean, honestly, if I could just give this to the entire Red Sox bullpen, I would. Um, but I'm going to give this to Trevor Story. And I know recently you guys talked about, hey, his at-bats look better. He's hitting the ball harder. I'm going to be honest. I hated that signing when it happened. I didn't want him on the Red Sox at all. I don't think he's going to be very productive. And he had another bad series in Texas. And I'm very willing to say already that I think Trevor Story is going to be an albatross contract for this team. That's $160 million that could have been spent anywhere on the pitching staff, specifically the bullpen. Um, I just, I don't like what I've seen out of him so far. And I'm going to probably continue not, liking what I've seen out of him so far. He's got a swing tailor-made for Fenway. And somehow I still don't think it's going to work because, and I'm very much not a guy that usually judges Colorado hitters. I like Nolan Arenado when he went to St. Louis, I said, he'll be fine. Larry Walker is so happy he's in the Hall of Fame because he was a great hitter. Todd Helton, get that man in the Hall of Fame because he was a great hitter. Trevor Story's not a great hitter. He's an okay hitter that played in Colorado. There is a massive difference. And I think the Red Sox wasted $160 million on this guy. And I think he had another bad series. Yeah, strong disagree there. I he he's been great in the field. He made some amazing plays that really kept the you know the Rangers off the board. Uh, I wouldn't pay Ozzie Smith $160 million. That's all I'm going to say. All I'm saying that he's learning a new position. He's never played second base a day in his life, and he's figuring out as he goes. So, yeah, again, he had his first home run. Uh, Yeah, I I have zero 
hesitations that Trevor Story will continue to get more comfortable in a role that, you know, he's been leading off. He's hitting the two hole. He's hitting the six hole. He's in the seventh hole because they're trying to jumpstart the lineup wherever they can. So, uh, yeah, I, I have no hesitations that uh, Trevor's going to pick it up. He is coming off of a couple of good series here. Oh, well, actually, I guess not so much two series ago. Just looking back through my old notes. But, um, you know, he did hit his first home run uh, recently. That might have been the last series. And um, you were kind of looking for him to kind of carry his momentum into the series. Uh, I don't think he did that. I mean, he did... um, he did hit a, a sack fly RBI in, in game one. Game one was his only hit of the uh, series, but he did draw walks in each of the second and third games. So, I mean, he, he reached base in all three games. Didn't really carry the momentum. Having said that, I'm still not overly pessimistic at this point. I uh, I spoke in the last show he doesn't look lost like a guy like Carl Crawford did. He doesn't look like he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. Eventually we want to see a bit of an explosion here. And then, you know, back to what he was in Colorado. I think a really good case scenario is offensively, you know, he'll be a JD drew type guy, a guy to come through in some big moments, you know, with some big power uh, obviously one's an outfielder one's an infielder but i just think i just think offensively um that that's about the player that uh, i would expect him to be in boston so um hopefully hopefully we see it yeah, he they're keeping him down in the in the 5 and 6 holes i think that's a good spot for him i don't want to see him at the top of the lineup because that's when the <laughs> that's when things got ugly but We'll see. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say one way or the other until probably, you know, but till August comes around, then we'll 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 kind of have a better idea of what we're looking at. But but I was a Trevor Story guy. Uh, Mark probably isn't as aware of this, but um, you know, he was the guy I was hoping they would target. So so me more than anyone else hopes it works out. <laughs> um, any more thoughts? Yeah, I on... just yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just I saw a guy that went one for ten with four strikeouts and two walks in this series. And that one hit was a single. It's just the power I don't think is going to be there. I said best case scenario, he's a guy that hits 20, 25 home runs with a 250 batting average, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But looking forward, he's a shortstop that's only going to get older. And if this is what he's going to look like outside of Colorado, because his OPS outside of Colorado was about 240 points lower than it was at Coors Field over the course of his career going into this season. I don't know if he was deserving of that contract. The strikeouts have been the biggest problem for me. I mean, he's leading the team by far. He's got 41. The next uh, closest player would be Bogarts at 31. And uh, Story's played less games, you know, due to illness. And I, I think he, uh, his, he and his wife had their first child. He is tied for third uh, on the team as far as runs driven in. So, I, you know, I, he, he just needs a, a couple of good series to, 
kind of lock in, get some momentum going, and we'll we'll see from there. <laughs> but I, I don't blame you, Mark. You know, I mean, it's it hasn't been the start any of us wanted. So uh, let's see, Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, with mine, um, it was Ryan Brazier. If the guy lets up more crooked numbers than his neck, uh, it's just absurd. I, I've he has nothing at this point. His pitches are straight as an arrow. And I watch him do what he did today on the same day that Frank German just pumps 99, 100, 100 to get out of a bases loaded jam um, up in Portland. So I don't think we need to keep messing around with Ryan Brazier. He has the team option. Send him down. Um, if you got to figure out, you know, a 40 spot for him later on, uh, you know, if someone's coming back or if they acquire someone, <laughs> that's Ryan Brazier's, uh, you know, spot to lose. And I will, I won't feel bad about when he loses it. He's provided absolutely nothing and they have to figure out something else because what he's doing is not helping the team. Mark, thoughts on Brazier? He stinks. Ryan Brazier stinks. I'll be the first to say it. I've been saying it for years. I didn't like him when he was good. I've never liked his stuff. I've There's just something about him. I don't know what it is. And I've always, like, I always say relief pitching is so volatile and you never know when a guy is actually good. Ryan Brazier tricked so many people into thinking he was good. It's unbelievable. I want him sent down. I send him to Worcester, send him to Portland, send him to Salem for all I care. Get him off of this team. I really don't like Ryan Brazier. He was going to be my ugly, but since I knew Andrew was going to use him for bad, I switched my ugly up. It's just, oh man, he stinks. I think Brazier is going to be a a victim of the juiced balls. I think when it was a more deadened ball, he was a little bit more effective. He did have a, a run there of five or six s- straight scoreless appearances, and that's kind of gone by the wayside. We did uh, see some juiced balls in the Atlanta series. I mean, those balls were just flying just off the bat, and I- I'm a little worried about some other guys we have on our staff, but but – to Andrew's point, is this a guy we really want to be seeing in high leverage in close games at this point? Probably not. What I will say is I still trust Brazier a little bit more than Matt Barnes. <laughs> so if you got to give me one, I'm taking Brazier. Um, I'd rather see Barnes tossed off the team uh, first. But I think, unfortunately for all of us, though, I think Alex Cora is a big Ryan Brazier guy. And... And we're going to, you know, we, we could be in for some, some more meltdowns, but, but so be it, I guess. Uh, all right. So here's, here's my guy. And I'm just, as we're going, I'm just getting more and more pessimistic about him, uh, you know, in, in particular, you know, whether he's a, you know, a top one or two guy in the lineup, you know, bet, you know, lead off or two hole or hitting fifth or sixth. I I just, I'm so frustrated with Alex Verdugo and I've got his game logs up. He has not had a multi hit game since April 14th. So exactly one month and one day 
from his last um, multi-hit game. He has not hit a home run since April 16th. So we're not seeing a ton of power there. He, um, since, let's see, he has hit some doubles recently, uh, just in the past week. But he had, it looks like a 10 or 12 game stretch where he, he didn't even have an extra base hit. April 18th until um, April 18th through May 5th. He didn't even have an extra base hit. This is a guy who is just looking more and more mediocre as we go. And it's been disappointing because when Mookie was traded, Alex Verdugo was a guy I wanted. He had some injuries that shortened some seasons, but in in those short sample sizes, he hit for really high average over well over 300 and, and was showing a little bit of pop and in a short in 2020, I, he was giving us glimpses of that. And I thought, okay, this could be, this could be your next Shane Victorino type guy, that type of a presence in the Red Sox lineup. And we're just not seeing it. He, he's a guy I want hitting seventh or eighth. If, if we've got adequate offense ahead of him and we don't. So that's probably why we're seeing him fifth or sixth, but Part of our offensive struggles, I think, I think Verdugo's a, a big, a big cause for that. And we're probably going to, he's not going anywhere. I don't think he's going to be in a trade because we don't have much outfield depth as it is. So I don't see a solution, uh, you know, on the horizon, but. That's my pessimism for Verdugo. Mark, any thoughts? It's funny because obviously I didn't want Mookie Betts to be traded in the first place. But when I found out he was and I found out that Verdugo was the biggest piece coming back, I was livid. We were talking about a young outfielder with high upside. That's great. But a young outfielder with a history of back injuries. Maybe just Larry Bird is sticking in my mind. I don't want anyone with any sort of back injury. Those ruin careers. And Verdugo, I will say, was better than I expected when he came over to the Red Sox. And I was like, okay, maybe the Red Sox got a decent piece in this guy from the Mookie Best trade. But yeah, he has not looked good this year. The fact that it's been a month since he hit a home run, that's really concerning. And he's never going to be a 30 home run guy. But, you know, the multi-hit games in a month, like, this is a guy that makes contact at least. But something I've noticed out of him, his swing has gotten so big. He looks like he's trying to launch a home run every single time he swings the bat. And that is not the type of player he is. And it's not the type of player he should be. He should be more like the guy whose jersey I'm wearing right now and Andrew Benintendi. He should be looking for gaps, smooth left-handed swing, going to hit 300. Like, just don't try to do too much, which he's trying to do so much all the time that I'm very worried about him moving forward. And one of these days, he's going to blow his back out again, and it's going to look even worse for the Red Sox. Sorry, I froze up there for a second. Yeah, um, Alex Verdugo, if you go onto his baseball savant page, his percentile rankings are 
all red, essentially, when it comes to uh, hitting. Uh, I have no fear of what he is at this point. He's definitely been banged up. He fouled that ball off his inner foot. That looked miserable. Today it looked like he aggravated it, but it seems like he got uh, out of that unscathed. Uh, yeah, this guy is currently just a victim of hitting to, hitting the ball right at guys. He has a 220 Babbitt. That doesn't exist. Um, that literally doesn't – that's – it, the biggest anomaly going right now in a season full of anomalies for the Red Sox at this moment. Um, if you look at his expected batting average, he's 80th percentile in the league at 295. His expected slugging is 89th percentile. Uh, his exit velocities are great. Hard hit percentage is above average, uh, above league average. Uh, whiff percentage is 94th percentile, so he's not swinging missing. 92nd in Ks. Um, yeah, he just has to get some good luck, and eventually these hits are going to start falling. And thank God they're banning the shift next year because you could see a guy that could hit three ten uh, once they take away take away you know that random ass right fielder that is a second baseman that seems to just catch every hundred fifteen mile an hour line drive he hits because it's got to be frustrating for him um, to get up to the you know step up to the plate and know you're going to get robbed each and every single time. I don't know what he needs to do then. I mean, go opposite field and and try to get hits that way, but it's just we're not seeing it. And the the power just, I mean, no home runs since April 16th. I, I just, eventually it has to turn, and we haven't seen it. So I... Yeah, his those baseball savant numbers shock me. I I guess he's the one guy on the Red Sox where I haven't looked at his baseball savant page because those are and those are great numbers. Like you like you said, he's red almost everywhere. And the fact that he's you know, I guess it is just bad luck and I it has to turn around at some point, but at the same time I just I I guess I'm a little less worried because of those numbers, but I am still worried about Verdugo. Yeah, hopefully this Houston series, maybe he can put one over the wall because he'd actually, uh, his expected home runs by ballpark, he's at seven at Minute Maid right now. Um, and obviously he doesn't have seven on the season. So uh, I think that ballpark might uh, play up to some of the skills. All right, we're kind of running late. So let's get into the ugly. Uh, Mark, go ahead. The Texas Rangers front office, I'll keep this quick. They paid way too much money for Simeon. They paid way too much money for Corey Seager. Um, and John Gray is a nice piece if he's going to be your number three starter, but he was their ace going into this season, and that has not been good because the Rangers have not been good. I get it. The Red Sox haven't been good, uh, good this season either, and it's great for them to pick up a series win at all since it's just their second this season. And it, but it came against a bad team. The Rangers are a very bad team, and I don't expect them to get much better because I don't love their farm system, and I think that front office is not doing a very good job down in Arlington right now. Yeah, Marcus Simeon's uh, Savant page is bluer than the Atlantic. Um, that doesn't look like it's going to turn around anytime soon. John Gray, 
I didn't want him in Boston. I didn't think he'd play up that well. Uh, super nice guy. He actually used to come into our shop, tipped well. So uh, big John Gray fan. But I don't think that's enough. I don't think this is the Rangers' year. I think it's going to be a few years, and who knows what the Seager and Simeon contracts look like by the time uh, Jack Leiter and Co. are up. I'll just say this. Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon's contracts add up to a half billion dollars with a B. Sheesh. <laughs> so Texas trying so hard to be relevant, but uh, forget that they need some pitching to go with everything else. And um, somehow Martin Perez came up big today against the Red Sox, much like Dallas Keuchel did <laughs> last uh, weekend. So something about facing bad pitchers on Sundays hasn't been, hasn't been working out for us, but. Uh, Andrew, go ahead. So for my ugly, I went with the Reds who threw a no-hitter today, but they didn't actually throw a no-hitter today because they didn't pitch enough innings because they walked so many guys and couldn't score a run. So they didn't get to throw full nine innings. The Reds are an embarrassment to Major League Baseball. First game of the year, the president came out and said, you know, uh, what are you going to do? What else are you going to watch? Where are we, What are you going to watch if we leave? So um, they might as well leave because the fans shouldn't be watching this anyways. Uh, Cincinnati is an absolute joke at this point. I hope the Red Sox, uh, if we are looking to add, can match up with a couple of their pieces here down the road. But, yeah, there is no reason to watch baseball in Cincinnati. With Hunter Green, I mean – He's going to be in his second year of arbitration by the time they're good again. <laughs> it's just so bad. They better lock him up early or just find a good dance partner to bolster that farm. Yeah, I feel so bad. There's a buddy of mine, Josh. Uh, he's on one of my other podcasts or two of my other shows. He's a diehard Reds fan. I have never felt more sorry for someone because that organization went from respectable to an absolute shit show in a matter of, I don't know, three years, even when they were bad the past few years, they were respectable. You, you could respect how the organization was run. They are an absolute mess. And this is just the culmination of the red season. This is what we're going to see. They're going to throw no hitters and lose because that offense is so God awful. So yeah, the, the reds are uglier than Marla Hooch in a league of their own. <laughs> Jeez. Hopefully we got no feminists in the audience. No, kidding. Um, so the, the Reds front office has had a identity crisis for a while. They've made a lot of trades that I didn't quite understand. You know, trading really elite talent and um, all for really short-term assets, and then they never really got anywhere with any of it. So um, hopefully they'll make have a front office shakeup next year. I mean, that is a good baseball market. That's a very passionate baseball town that, that wants to win. So hopefully for their sake, um, it happens. All right. Uh, my ugly is uh, an interesting one per potentially, um, a touchy one. Uh, Nestor Cortez had some very questionable tweets, uh, surface today. Um, apparently some of them, uh, contained the N word. And they were almost a decade old, though, so it was nothing recent. So it was very uh, reminiscent of of uh, the Josh Hader incident because 
uh, both of them uh, were um, were basically song lyrics, apparently. So um, Nestor Cortez has had quite the horrific day <laughs> on social media. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. And he's deleted his Twitter account. So um, we'll see what happens. Uh, um, I don't want to... I don't want to speculate. Uh, there are some dynamics in here that are, are a little different. So, but uh, not a good look for a guy who's uh, potentially going to be a, a Cy Young candidate. As long as he isn't Brett Netzer, I think we're fine. Uh, the, the Red Sox went through a very similar thing not too long ago, except Brett Netzer is absolutely a piece of garbage human oh yeah yeah. i'm talking about that guy uh the red sox prospect who tweeted out many many racist things um it's one of those if they're song lyrics probably they're a decade old he probably just made a mistake he was a kid it happens he wasn't for i haven't seen the tweets but what it sounds like he wasn't being outwardly racist or trying to harm people um yeah, but that sucks. That really sucks, especially because, like you said, Nestor Cortez has been he's lived up to the nasty Nestor nickname this year. <laughs> and I know a lot of Yankees fans that absolutely love him. So they're probably going to turn on him a little bit now. But, hey, could be worse. Any thoughts, Andrew? Uh, I honestly didn't see anything on it. Didn't see anything on Reddit baseball. So I, I don't think people are making too big of a deal. Uh, hopefully it was just song lyrics um, and you know, he isn't a terrible person because he's definitely enjoyable to watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't expect much to become of it either. Um, baseball, short of Trevor Bauer, doesn't seem to like to deal with too many controversies at this point, and things have been swept under the rug. And I'll also say this for what it's worth he's not white either. <laughs> you know, like, like a guy like Hater was. So perhaps, uh, you know, he, he won't, his consequences won't be quite as severe, but, um, all right. So it looks like we have some pitching matchups for a change on my regular, uh, MLB site. So before we wrap, why don't we just get into this Houston Astros series, not the team we want to be seeing right now, red hot pitching has been lights out. So we couldn't be catching them at a worse time, uh, especially where we're trying to build some momentum off of a series that we've won. Uh, but game one, this is Monday night. Looks like uh, they're all basically primetime games. Wednesday night will be an hour earlier than normal, a six ten start. But Monday night, seven ten. Jake Odorizzi, who's quietly put together a, a nice start here, three thirty eight ERA. Versus Garrett Whitlock, who's kind of been scuffling a little bit, kind of getting the pitch count up uh, a little faster than what we want. But, Mark, how do you see that game going? I'll give that one to the Sox. I don't trust Jake Odorizzi as far as I can throw him or as far as he can probably throw a baseball because that arm has got some miles on it. Um, But, yeah, I'd give that one to the Sox. I know Whitlock has been struggling, but he's easily the best pitcher on this team right now, and I expect him to step up on the big stage. Yeah, I've never liked Odorizzi. I don't think the Red Sox really fear him too much. So um, if I have to give start the series off, I'm giving that one to the Red Sox. I'm going to be Mr. Pessimist. I just don't like... 
I don't like the way Whitlock is is trending right now, and I, I think the the Astros are just as likely to get to him as we may or may not with Odorizzi. Odorizzi should be a guy. I mean, he's not overpowering. He's a guy we should put up runs with, but we've uh, we've had our issues with some some bad pitching. So I have to go with the Astros uh, in Game One. Game Two, Jose Urquidy versus Nathan Avaldi. Uh, Mark, how do you see that one going? As much as I love Nate, uh, Urquidy's been, I don't know how he's been this season, but over the past couple of years for the Astros, he's been a really reliable arm, and I really like his stuff. Uh, this Astros pitching staff is really deep as well. I like Ryan Presley at the back end of the bullpen. I'd probably give that one to the Astros. I don't have the Red Sox winning this series. So um, because of that, I, I got to give uh, the Astros this this win. Evaldi ha- hasn't been terrible against the Astros, but he has kind of labored against them. And that's a team, you know, albeit one that had Carlos Correa previously. Um, they give him fits. And for whatever reason, Arkady is just one of those pesky guys that you feel like we should we should get to him, but uh, we just don't uh, quite as well. So, um, but I gotta give the Red Sox at least a game here. So I'm I'm gonna I will give them game two. Uh, let's go to the third and final game of the series. That's the Wednesday game. Luis Garcia, who is putting together a very good season uh, versus Nick Pavetta, who, as we were saying earlier, um, you know, strung together a few decent starts. Mark, how do you see that one going? I'm going to give it to the Astros because I think the Red Sox will fall asleep in the box while while, uh, Luis Garcia tries to throw the ball. The guy takes four and a half minutes to throw a pitch. I've never quite seen anything like it. Um, Of course, Rock's the baby, which he got so famous for in the postseason against the Red Sox last year. And he gave the Red Sox some fits last year. And I know Pavetta really shut them down out of the bullpen in a couple of those games. But Pavetta, I got to see him become more consistent before I can trust him with the ball against a team like the Astros. I could see them lighting him up in this start. So I'll give that one to the Astros as well. Yeah, I don't like this one at all. Um, I do think Pavetta is doing better as of late, but he's still prone to the long ball. I think Jordan Alvarez could have himself quite the series. He could get, he could touch Nate for one. Um, I, I, I think it's a lock that he hits one off Pavetta um, in game three here. And I wouldn't be shocked if Kyle Tucker followed suit. I just, those, those two guys in the middle of that lineup are really something else. Interestingly, the Astros do not have a single player hitting over 300 right now. Let's see. Their best hitter is actually Carlos Correa's replacement. Jeremy Pena uh, leads the team hitting 276. Uh, actually showing some pop, though. Six home runs, uh, 20 ribbies. Michael Brantley just having his normal workman-like effort that he does every season. No one ever talks about him, but one of those stalwart guys I, I frankly would love to have. And he's always signed to an affordable contract, too. Uh, yeah. 
And then, of course, uh, Alvarez uh, leading the team with 11 bombs. So that's probably got to be towards the top of the league as well. I haven't looked, but... But uh, anyway, we will wrap with that. Uh, it's, a, it's a tough matchup. Astros, I think, had won, what, 10 or 11 in a row. Uh, we're probably fortunate that we're not seeing Framber Valdez or Justin Verlander, who is probably going to make his case for a Cy Young at 39 years old. But um, if the Red Sox do come away with two, I think we'll all be pleasantly surprised. So... Uh, we will wrap on that. We'll be back tomorrow with Totally Legit or Calling the Cops. Always a fun show. So everyone have a good start to your work week. Take care. <laughs>